Alright, I hit record. Okay, I'm recording. <clears throat> Alright. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, and this is Marking Out the Days. I am one half of your hosts, Dave Rosenbluth from Kicking Out at Two, and joining me, the Dr. Frankenstein of the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, the guy that puts it all together. I'm talking about Kobe Naito. What's going on, man? What's up, dude? How's it going? Uh, you feeling the effects of the WrestleMania hangover? As yeah, we call a little. It? A little, yeah. yeah, we got, you know, uh, conspicuous by our absence last week. Um, you know, we, uh, we we took a little break uh, because we, you know, uh, had, a, you know, well, mainly you, but, you know, had a, a lot to do with the um, the unveiling of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over on Podbean, which you can find right now. You can find all of our archive shows kicking out of two, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania is Dead, Origins of Attitude, and marking out the days all over there right now. We're going to continue uploading uh, newer shows of, of marking out the days and kicking out it too. Um, and all the other great shows are part of that lineup. Um, as, the, as the weeks and months go on, we hit our limit. We peaked. Um, for the month of April, and so uh, you know we're 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 it's a work in progress, but you know it's all going to come together, and uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna have that buffet of of wrestling podcasts for you to to to, to gorge on, if you will. So uh, yes, be on indeed. the lookout for more of that. Um, should I mention that uh, we're 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 doing a little bit of a format change, a schedule change when it comes to marking out the days? Yes. Do you want to yes. do the honors, or would you like me well, to? Or well, so. What we thought, it's a lot to digest every episode, and sure, we love to do it, and it's a lot of work for us for this to be a free podcast for everybody. So, what we're saying is, hang in there with us, and we're going to do a bi-weekly thing for Marking Out the Days, and it'll be the 18th, that'll be today, starting, and then every two weeks you'll get the coverage of that Throwback Thursday day. Um, it's a lot to digest in two hours for us to watch and consume and try to give you a fair consumption and a fair podcast for our listeners. So we want to do it due diligence, due diligence. So, um, we're going to space it out bi-weekly. Now, if fans are willing to donate and help out and buy premium content, maybe we can get to where we can go weekly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's all there in the future. It's what you guys can contribute and what we can put out. And I contest that we put out some great content and it shows with our listeners. We have over 600 listeners. So, oh, wow. um, that, that, Very that's cool. some good stuff there. Um, we're building a good community here. So, I mean, even if everybody donated a dollar, that would go to even more hosting for, every show and more content for us to produce and everything like that but uh nonetheless we have all the back back archive like you said on podbean and uh may 1st we'll be back in action on podbean uh the official launch and then uh this old feed will go away say bye bye to everything and uh follow us on podbean you can find us on google play as well and spotify and iTunes, as always. And then, you know, catch up with us on Twitter, at RetromaniaPOD. Uh, follow the Facebook community, 
at Retromania with a W on Facebook, as always. So uh, you can go on there and follow us. And we do like, you know, little videos here and there and little pictures. And it's a nice little community that we go got going on, just like kicking out it too, Dave. You want to tell them about what's going on over there at your community? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, last week, uh, we, uh, we, we we cured the WrestleMania hangover by discussing um, one of the, the, the most infamous resets in all of wrestling history. We, you know, WrestleMania, um, usually the storylines following WrestleMania and WWE, um, it's usually a big reboot or a, a reset, if you will to begin the next season of storylines. WCW did something similar in the year 2000, over 19 years ago, on uh, April the 10th, 2000, when they brought um, Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff together, both on screen and behind the and behind the curtain with the New Blood versus Millionaire Club storyline. My brother Daryl and I, we sat down and we watched WCW Nitro from April the 10th, 2000. Uh, had a little special watch party. Uh, we discussed, um, you know, all the, 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 the craziness that took place on that episode. So uh, if you guys want to check that out, that's over in the archives um, for, for kicking out it too over at SoundCloud.com as well as on our social media, Facebook.com forward slash kicking out a two and over on twitter our handle is at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two and within the next month or so that show as well as all future episodes of kicking out a two will be available on Podbean through the retro mania pro wrestling podcast network and this week uh, we celebrated the 25-year anniversary of WCW Spring Stampede 1994 with a special Trading Places edition. For those of you who are new to uh, the, the Kicking Out at Two Retro Mania community, um, I do a show. Called, I do a concept called Trading Places, where I take an event and I flip the results of each match, and I try to realistically map out the trajectory of the winners and losers from those matches. Had the results gone in a different fashion without giving it a fantasy booking kind of flair to it. So, um, we, we, you know, what happened in 1994 if Ric Flair or Ricky Steamboat walked away the, the decisive victor in the main event for the world title? What, ha- what would have happened if Sting was unable to capture the World Heavyweight Championship, or should I say the international championship from ravishing Rick Rude. And how do these how do these scenarios affect Hulk Hogan's arrival in WCW just two months later? We ponder those questions and so much more with our Trading Places WCW Spring Stampede 1994 podcast that's available over in the archives at soundcloud.com as well as facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two and our Twitter handle at kicking out two. And next week, we have a special Spring Stampede watch party as our listeners over at Kicking Out at Two voted on both Twitter and Facebook for us to sit down and watch Spring Stampede 1997 on the WWE Network. So uh, if you're looking for some nostalgia to sit down and watch, watch it with us, myself and Dennis J. Levy, Spring Stampede 1997 main event, DDP and the Macho Man. We also saw um, Lex Luger win a fatal four-way to become the number one contender. Kevin Nash defending the tag team titles uh, in a singles match against Rick Steiner of the Steiner Brothers. Uh, the infamous evening where uh, Booker T um, delivered his uh, his most famous promo of all um, and uh, so much more mm-hmm. from that event so uh, you can check that out yeah I'm, I'm yeah just I'm not gonna I'm not really gonna go there but uh, you know uh, yeah. for those of you that, that are paying it all attention, comes full circle with Hogan though in that promo it does <laughs> yes it really does absolutely you are you are 100% and, right 
and speaking right. of uh, and speaking of Hulk Hogan and the trading places, I love that that alternate storyline that you guys uh, you know present with trading places. It kind of ties in with Hulkamania is dead because we kind of trail off of that and uh, we go in depth, Jimmy and I, for Hulkamania is dead, uh, one of the most original wrestling podcasts that you'll ever hear. It's just from 1984 until 1993. Uh, we're rebooking the territory without Hulk Hogan. Like, what if his leg got broken by the Iron Sheik in 1984 and he stepped away from the business? What would it look like in the WWF territory? What if we picked up Sting before NWA WCW? Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a it's a crazy ride. So uh, all these things are found at Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network at Podbean. Um, it, it, it's just a great collective there. Um, all these podcasts go entail. They're kind of like co-companions in a way. Yeah, um, I'm actually on episode. I just started episode three of Hulkamania is Dead. Um, after listening to a few of the Hulkamania is Dead, as I've told you before, I, I needed to make some time to uh, to, to get into them, and um, I did. Yeah, and I'm on the third episode right now, and it actually inspired me to possibly do another concept on kicking out it too um i've not been a big i'm not big on the fantasy booking i haven't been for a while and i wanted to make sure i stayed away from that on this podcast Mm -hmm. or at least i'm kicking out it too i should say that's why i don't really consider trading places um a fantasy booking style concept because i try to realistically map out those trajectories based on the landscape of the storylines at that time in 1994. So I try to go back a little bit and just mm-hmm. deliver some alternate endings without getting too over the top like a lot of fantasy booking shows out there. However, yes. listening to your guys' show, you and Jimmy, um, I don't feel like your your fantasy booking style is over the top, you know? So it's, it's inspired me to eventually... Um, come up with something for kicking out it too that I'm going to be revealing later in the year. Um, but it's going to, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of either calling it the dream match series or reimagined rivals where, um, I'm going to take a, take a, take two guys, for instance, who either have never wrestled each other before came close to wrestling each other or had a, a, a match and try to, uh, rebook in some ways, um, how that storyline could have been or, or, you know, how that match could have come about or a better finish to that match or whatever the case may be. So um, right. I'm just toying around some ideas, just you know, doing a lot of brainstorming and taking notes and listening to some of your stuff. So, um, you know, with Hulkamania is dead and trying to just figure out where that style of podcasting fits for me. So, but I, right. I must say I really enjoy um, – I've, I've enjoyed the first two episodes so far. Your your audio, your editing, um, top notch stuff, man. Um, you know, I definitely got to step up my game when it comes to that. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to. I'm mean, like I said, I'm on the third episode. I believe it's WrestleMania, the original mm-hmm. WrestleMania, the very first mm-hmm. one. So, uh, looking forward to uh, you know going through this path of uh, you know you know had the, had wrestling not endured uh, Hulkamania. So it's it, it's yeah. been pretty cool so far. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I'm not trying to rub each other too hard here, but no, uh, no, no. But not at um, all. <laughs> definitely, I appreciate it, and I enjoy the trading places. That's why I gave the plug. It's 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 a different way of looking at things realistically, and uh, just our 
are booking, bear with me, it does get a little bit ridiculous on the undercard, but we try to make it have some sense and knowledge at the, the upper card. We just mm-hmm. try to have comedy interlaced with this because we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. Oh, absolutely. Um, so we're trying to have it be a fun community. And I think that's what we accomplished here. We're freaking 14 episodes deep. So, uh, yeah, we've been doing this for a year on this. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think we came a long way in the series. So definitely everybody check that out and check out Trading Places as well. All on Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. That being said, you ready to get into the day of marking out the days? I certainly am, my friend. It's uh, it's time that bus is is, is departing. I uh, hope you all have your calendars out with your sharpies. Let's cross off that date and uh, l- l- let's go back in time to April the 18th in professional wrestling history. Where's where's our first stop? Let's go to. Let's start it off with the with the you know the downer stuff and then we'll pick it up you know yeah, we'll, you we'll be okay. like a we'll be like a like a wcw card or something or no a <laughs> wwf card okay um, yeah uh let's do the wrestlers who died on this day in history okay April yeah, let's 18th. Get, yeah let's get all the deaths out of the way because it's yeah. kind of a yeah it's hard to come back from from when you do happy stuff than sad stuff at least it'd be easier to come back when you just start off sad so yeah that works for me <laughs> let's do it um, all right, so let's start it from one of the uh, the oldest here is Paul Jones, who died um, last year, April 18th, 2018. You know Paul Jones? Yeah, um, Paul Jones uh, managed, um, I believe, Ivan Koloff at one point. He also managed... Um, Barbarian and Warlord, Powers of Pain, as well as Rick Rude and uh, Manny Fernandez, who were NWA uh, tag team champions at one point um, in the Jim Crockett promotions in the mid-Atlantic area. Uh, don't have a whole lot of exposure to Paul Jones, but um, I heard for, you know, during the, during his time, he was uh, he was one of the, the very well-respected managers and characters in the business. Yeah, also a, um, a Texas boy. And one of the guys who competed in the 84 Starcade against Jimmy Valiant in a tuxedo street fight, loser oh. leaves town match. Oh, wow. So a former okay. wrestler, um, early 70s into the 80s, and then turned into a manager, if you will, like you said. Um, definitely feuded with Jimmy Valiant a lot over the years. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um NWA Clash of the Champions 4, 1988. Ivan Koloff defeats Paul Jones. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and then later, you know, being a jobber to Crush in 1993. Really? Yes. I was not aware of that. Okay. Interesting. So, a uh, little stuff there from Paul Jones. But uh, R.I.P. He died on this day. Um, another one who is a classic, if you will, um, died on this day, Wednesday, April 18th, 1990, Gory Guerrero. The patriarch of the famous Guerrero family um, with uh, Eddie and Hector and Chavo, classic, senior, Mondo, um, 
you know had a uh, had, was a was a big time promoter in uh, in uh, El Paso, Texas, as well as in uh, you know parts of Mexico as well. Um, you know, Gory Guerrero's uh, his his style, his in ring style, inspired his children, and they ended up naming moves after him. Um, right. And the one Gory of the biggest, special. Yeah, the one Gory of the biggest. Bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> but um, Gory uh, Gory Guerrero was a, um, a a big, like I said, most notably known for his um, his time as a as a as a promoter, and he was like the Mexican version of Fritz von Erich, where he got all his kids into wrestling, and it was a family thing, mm-hmm. and um, you know they they all became pretty successful in, in a regional sense. Obviously, the biggest uh, contribution to wrestling would be his son, the late great Eddie Guerrero, and uh, what he was able to accomplish during his time on this earth. Yes, indeed. Um, rest in peace, Gory Guerrero. All right. So moving on, this day. April 18th, 2002, Edward McDaniel, also known as Wahoo McDaniel, one of the most famous and uh, popular Native American wrestlers at the time. True story, he's not a Native American. Kind of. I mean, I don't know. Not fully. Yeah, he was, um, Wahoo, I think, uh, had some Native American, um, uh, heritage in his family, but not much. Um, former football player in the NFL. Yes. Um, in the early days of the NFL. Um, Wahoo. Um, kind of tying us in with our Raw Bowl episode that we'd done before. That's talking right. about football players turned into wrestlers, you know, yeah. it all ties in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one but of the they first. suffer a knee injury, and uh, he played with the Jets in 1964. And, uh, you know. Yeah, Wahoo. Yeah. Um, my my exposure to him was probably like towards the tail end of his career. I want to say in like the mid to late '80s with Crockett. Um, so I didn't I didn't get to you know uh, experience Wahoo in the heyday. Um, there's an interesting story um, that I heard about him um, in a Ric Flair shoot interview. Um, Flair Flair considers Wahoo like one of his idols, one of the guys that like he looked up to in the business and. Um, Wahoo, Wahoo, I forget what territory he was working for, but Wahoo um, wrestled an hour Broadway. I believe it was against either Harley Race or Blackjack Mulligan, and he did it on the same day that he got a vasectomy done. Now, for those uh. of you, the, for those of you who have uh, who have experienced that or had the unfortunate pleasure of um, of uh, you know getting fixed, if you will. Um, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun at all. Back then, in the in the the seventies and the eighties, it was a much different process than it is now. I hear it's I hear it's a lot different now um, than it was back, you know, thirty, forty years ago. But um, to to go ahead and have that happen to you and then wrestle, you know, for an hour later that night, man, that takes a tough dude. So yeah. every time I think of Wahoo McDaniel, I think of the fact that he wrestled an hour. For probably for the NWA title with the rafters, you know, hanging from the rafters, sold out, if you will. Like they always say, he yeah. had the strap. He was always on top, like this, that, and the other. He he did it after he got, you know, basically the, basically his um his uh his unborn children sucked out of his cock by the uh, <laughs> by a doctor, um, medically speaking. There, 
Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a tough dude. That's a tough dude. Don't ever fuck with McDaniel. If you ever meet him in the in, in the in the afterlife, don't fuck with him because he. Oh, uh, definitely. He wrestled for the NWA title with basically a a, a, a lifeless dick. <laughs> um, he also, you know, like going back to him and Flair, they, you know, they had a legendary feud over the Mid Atlantic Heavyweight Championship, like seventy five, seventy six. That's what kind of put these guys like on the map more or less flair on the map um yeah. you know by going through this feud with him through the carolinas and the eastern championship uh eastern coastal area as well um just great stuff and then greg valentine breaking his leg and him coming back from that i mean just yes. talking about the vasectomy stuff you know just the comeback guy and later in his career he would just become an enhancement talent or just a legendary uh position to uh help out other guys as we saw or as we spoke of on a prior episode where he was involved with tatanka yes that is correct he was um he was uh like the the ceremonial uh uh, Native American headdress, if you will, the feathers or something that he gave him. Um, and yeah. uh, he, w- he w- also covered him in an episode of uh, when he was a part of the, um, the the Crockett Tag Team Tournament. I think he tagged with uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Baron Von Raschke. Yep. And uh, speaking of Dickies, uh, one of his last matches recorded ever was WCW Slamboree 1995. Wahoo McDaniel defeated Dickie Murdoch. Oh, that's right, baby. Little Dickie Murdoch. Little Dickie Murdoch, he put little Wahoo, Wahoo McDickie Daniel over. That's right, baby. In the Legends match, if you will. Dickie Murdoch with no pants on, letting this little Dickie hang out, putting it up on the line with the sole down the rafters, had the strap. He was on top, baby. That's right. That's right, baby. Wahoo. Wahoo, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wahoo, baby. That's right, baby. America Dream oh, Dusted Rose, Wahoo McDaniel. We would have been the greatest tag team of all time, but it wasn't <laughs> yes, to be indeed. Daddy. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, the last death here, Wednesday, April 18th, 2018, Bruno San Martino. We did a special on him. That's one of the bonus episodes. That's bonus episode 10 for Retromania. Uh, we kind of dive in deep. Jimmy and I, and then we talk about a match that he had with Stan Hansen in the cage, and then a match with Roddy Piper, and we kind of go through his career and his um, his contribution to the business. Any thoughts for his death? Um, I mean, we'll get deeper on his birthday, but... Yeah. You know, um, Bruno was a, a generation before me. I, I My first interaction, my first, you know... Um, recollections of bruno uh was uh his his involvement in the wrestlemania 2 battle royal and uh some limited commentary um but for the most part um i didn't grow up on bruno um my father did my father went to a couple shows my father was is not a big wrestling fan he even wasn't when he was a kid but he you know he lived in the new york area and um him and his buddies went to a few shows at the garden um I want to say, and I, can't, I could be wrong, but I thought that I had this conversation with my father once before. I think he was at the Garden the night Bruno lost the belt to uh, Ivan Koloff. Okay. Um, I think. Wow. I could be wrong. I'll have to, I'll have to double check. My father <laughs> might not even know. But um, Bruno was the... <laughs> No, my father's not good with memory and shit uh, like that. Like okay. when it yeah. comes to when it comes Sorry. to that sort of thing. No, 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 no apologies necessary. Trust me. I, I try to ask him 
something that happened yesterday, and he'll be like, huh? Like, you know, and it drives me fucking crazy. I'm like, I, we just talked about this. Like, yeah. you know, it's, but anyhow, it's just what happens when you get old. I, I forget shit too. My, I drive my wife crazy when it comes to that stuff. But anyhow, um, back to Bruno San Martino. Uh, I was fortunate enough to attend the Hall of Fame ceremony when he got inducted by WWE awesome. in 2013 at the Garden. That was pretty cool um, because that was the story behind getting him to do very it. Cool. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. And then just the, the history that he had in that building. And, you know, it, it was it, it felt like something special. Um, even though I didn't grow up on Bruno, um, he was one of those, like, you never thought you would see this happen ever. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that I got to be there in attendance to watch him go into the Hall of Fame. So that was pretty cool. Yes, yeah, so you can check all the information that we have on Bruno um, in that ep ep in that episode ten, um, and like you said, Bruno way before my time. I I, I found him way later, but uh, just a legend in the business. R.I.P. on this day. Let's go to the birthdays. Let's get a little bit happier. Let's run through these people. The first one here. April 18th, 1933, Tank Morgan. He was a rival of Bruno San Martino in the 60s. Um, just one of these big hoss fighters, if you will, back in the day. Never heard of him. Then, moving on, Debbie Combs. She was born on this day, 1959. Classic AWA wrestler, NWA wrestler, WCW wrestler, and WWF wrestler. She actually had a match on uh, WCW Saturday night with Medusa. Hmm, interesting. And she also wrestled Sherry Martell in AWA in the 86 era. So, Not Debbie yeah. gets around, huh? Yes, indeed. She's like all the rats. <laughs> Uh, happy birthday to her. And moving on, Vic Steamboat. You ever heard of this guy? April 18th, 1960. Can't say I have. Hmm. His name, Victor Hershey Blood, cousin of the Bloods. So. Oh, so there's a relation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Vic wow. Interesting. Steamboat. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Uh, he wrestled against Arn Anderson one time on a Saturday Night's episode. Um, he is the younger brother of Ricky Steamboat. All right. Yeah. So he's a, he's Happy done a whole lot of nothing in this business then. <laughs> Happy birthday to his younger brother. Who wrestled here and there, probably for a paycheck or two. Normally, um, I shit on the people that die, but today I'm shitting on the people that are still alive and they're celebrating birthdays. Well, 86 through Debbie 96 here and there to get some money, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah. all right, Vic Steamboat. Uh-huh. Vicky Steamboat, the dragon. the dragon. Hey, you know we talked about him before and how he might have never cheated on his wife because of that song, right? That's correct, yeah. Well, then why would she, like, try to sue him for the name and, you know, divorce him later and hold the rights against him for years and making a profit off of his name? 
I mean, there could be a lot of different reasons. I don't know. Maybe, I know, he, maybe. But I, 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 I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. You know, that, Ricky that, that, Streamboat's got a lawsuit. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe he was breathing fire down someone else's crotch. I don't know. But like, yeah, it, you know, it could. It could be a lot of things. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe she expected bigger payoffs after WrestleMania three, and it just didn't work out. So, you know, she she felt this need to. To control. Okay. Yeah. Happy birthday, Vic, his brother. Vic. Uh, anyhow, moving on with the birthdays. Biff Wellington. He was a ECW New Japan guy. Is ECW, he the brother of Beef oh. Wellington? <laughs> he was playing off that, but uh, gotcha. he was one of the ECW originals. Um, so just shouting him out there. And then... Mickey Honda. She is a Japanese wrestler. She's wrestled plenty times in WCW. Actually, Wrestle War 1991. She has a special match there. Tag team match. It's okay. I think she's also done porn. Uh, oh, last, all right. Last birthday. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Mickey. Mickey Honda. How about Mickey Honda Job? Is that her mm. porn name? Maybe. Mickey Honda Job. <laughs> I give you a Honda Job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's her finishing mm. move. <laughs> the Honda Job. The Honda Job. Oh, he's whacked out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um. She used two hands on him, folks. <laughs> <laughs> you ready to get into the last birthday? Yeah, the the most famous of them all, <laughs> this group, and that's saying something. Um, April eighteenth, nineteen sixty one, the world was graced with the presence of one Steve Lombardi, who was known as the Brooklyn Brawler in the WWF. Also portrayed one of many Doink the Clowns. Also portrayed Kim Chi, who was the the handler of Kamala. He was also Abe knuckleball schwartz at mm. one point and um lombardi also was very famous for being just basically the biggest gopher in all of the wwf behind the scenes um for for the mcmahon family uh, no longer employed by wwe or i shouldn't say employed because those guys are independent contractors um no longer under contract with the wwe is but, he with um, aw is he, is he i don't know be? that'd just... be hilarious <laughs> right yeah but he was he was a guy that wore many hats behind the scenes um, oh yeah he 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 helped produce matches um he worked with a lot of the extras um the the in local talents that would come in and, and be extras on the show um he was the one that also used to um gather all the 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 the, the talents at tv tapings to record uh um interviews and clips for the dvds and, and all that other stuff that they that they produced at television tapings and so um he wasn't just a, a guy with uh a, you know sh- shitty jeans and uh, holes in his yankee t-shirt he was uh he, no. he was some he was somebody important behind the scenes for no. world wrestling entertainment so yes uh i definitely agree and i, I wasn't cracking on him for being him going to AEW, just that would be just funny because everybody's going to AEW. You know that's yeah, the I new know, joke. Right? Yeah. yeah, everyone. Yeah, 
Because everyone, because everyone that doesn't get a push, decides they want to take their ball and go home. Mm. Mm. But you have to look at the depth of that roster as well. Uh, We're not going to get on. We're not going. We can't even. Yeah. All right. Let's get into this day. Let's do this day. April eighteenth. April eighteenth. Let's go from the top of the card. All-Star Wrestling's WWF. You can find this on the network if you search it. All-Star Wrestling in the vault, 1981, April 18th. Dominic DiNucci and Killer Khan battle, and Killer Khan wins by countout. Yoshiaki Yatsu and Pretty Boy Larry Sharp have a 10-minute draw. Sergeant Slaughter beats Charlie Brown, but before the match, a fan comes up to the ring, and he has to be escorted away. This fan is huge. It's a big black dude. He's, like, ready to whoop Sergeant Slaughter's ass. And Sergeant Slaughter's (laughs) like, come on, bring it on. It's just rare to see this in, like, 1981. Um, But, yeah, Sergeant Slaughter has his way with Charlie Brown. Then... Intercontinental champion Pedro Morales makes an appearance and rolls up Johnny Rods for a quick match there. And in the main event, it's King Kong Mosca defeating Jerry Johnson with a backbreaker submission. So uh, not too much to see on this card. Um, yeah, just that I was little wait, incident. I was, to, I was waiting for you to tell me that Snoopy and the rest of the Peanuts gang did a run-in during the Sergeant Slaughter match. But, <laughs> the um, Charlie Brown the, well, he's yeah, the guy who wears he's the he's the guy who wears brown pants, and he's kind of like the same complexion as his brown pants. So, oh my god, it doesn't look too good in the ring. I heard a hilarious story once on a shoot interview with Luke Gallows about all the weird names that he would encounter on the indie scene when he would do indie shows. And there was this one guy that dressed up like a UPS delivery guy and he wore all brown and he would go into the new, he would go, his entrance would be that he'd walk into the ring and he'd get sit in the corner and he'd grab a newspaper and he would pretend like he was taking a shit on the toilet and his name was David Shits. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. you said that this guy had brown pants that matched his brown skin complexion, that was the first thing I thought of was David Shits somewhere in fucking uh, yeah. Pennsylvania or wherever the fuck. <laughs> I mean, we'll get there with names on the jobber inventory as we go through marking out the days. I like oh, yeah. to bring them up because they're just ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Uh, Moving on with this day. New Japan Sumo Hall. 1985, I thought that I'd bring this up because it's like a WWF cross-promotion show. Uh-huh. It's Seiji Sakaguchi defeating Billy Jack Haynes. Tatsuji Fujinami defeating Super Strong Machine. You know who that is, right? Uh, no, I, I, I do not know who Super Strong... Is Super Strong... Wait a minute. Is Super Strong Machine um, Bill Eadie? Uh, no, former, he's a classic. Axel. No, he's a classic Japanese wrestler. He recently retired last year. <laughs> oh, um, uh, all right. I'm, you're losing me. Sorry. Junji Hirata is his real name, but he is one of the super strong machines. Uh, yes, I'm not sure if it was the WWF version or his version. It doesn't clarify on the card, but I believe gotcha. it would be him. Okay. Um, All right. But you are talking about the 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 giant machine. Yeah. Um, 
which is Hulk Andre machine. the Giant, the Hulk yeah, machine. There, there was a yes. Hulk machine at one point, and there was a super machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, was, there was a few machines, yeah. All based off of super strong machine, I believe. Gotcha. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. The more then, you know. moving on with the card, a tag team match, Adrian Adonis and Little Dickie Murdoch, the tag team champions, defeating Kanatoro... Hashino and Kengo Kimura, the owner of the Kimura Lock. That sounded like a mouthful right there. Yeah. Just just them and the, and the team of Adonis and Dick Murdoch, man. Whew. Yeah, what a what a interesting pairing, you know? Kind of rock and roll with country. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a good that's a good way of putting it. I'll I'll, I'll leave it alone. I won't butcher it. Uh, And then the main event was Antonio Inoki going to a draw, a double count out with Bruiser Brody in about 23 minutes. Interesting, right? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's funny that, you know, we're talking about Brody. Um, Bring it up. Let's do it because we both watched uh, it. Yeah. I I watched that uh, that Viceland documentary on – um, Bruiser Brody, and um, you know Bruiser was a little bit before my time. However, um, as a, as a as an older wrestling fan, I'd seen some stuff here and there of him, and I'd heard you know um, little bits and pieces of the story and uh, on how he had passed away, um, re- revolving his murder in the locker room in Puerto Rico. But man, st- I don't know what it was, but like I I felt. I felt so bad for the situation. Like, uh, like uh, full disclosure, my wife and I, we watch like those Dateline murder mystery type shows. So, um, and sometimes we get caught up in those, and we like I love true hate. crime. Yeah, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like we, we get into that. So I had her watch this with me, and she was like, "Man, that was so fucked up what the promoter did." She was like, "The Cologne guy definitely had something to do with it, or he knew oh, more yeah. about it." Like, and I personally feel the same way too. Like, I think Carlos Cologne definitely knew more than what he was letting on. Um, I, at the, when watching the documentary, I had no idea that Gorilla Monsoon owned a piece of the Puerto Rican territory whatsoever. Um, and Me too. I didn't, and I didn't know that um, that Brody had bought into the territory, uh, or at least was going to at one point. And um, the same thing with Abdullah. And that's funny too that like in the story they talk about um, after Brody was dead and the wrestlers had a meeting in the hotel, um, Tony Atlas and Dutch Mantel had said that Abdullah was there, and Abdullah says, nope, I was never at this meeting, and mm-hmm. they both claim he was, and then mm-hmm. Abdullah goes out and admits that, well, I had 5% of the business. So how many fucking mm-hmm. guys own this territory, you know what I mean? Because in the beginning, it was like Carlos Colon, Victor Quinones, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, there was another minority owner, and then Abdullah reveals he's got a piece of it, Brody was trying to buy it, like, everyone had their hands in the pot in Puerto Rico, um, and it was just very telling, like, I feel like Abdullah know. in my opinion, I feel like Abdullah knows more than what he was letting on. And it was very telling throughout, um, especially with the Carlos Cologne stuff, too. You know, he he's just, like, trying to cover this up, and everybody's trying to sweep it under the rug and just, you know, because it could be messy if you look into it deeper, you know? Yeah, uh, just oh, the absolutely. There, yeah, there's definitely more people that know about it. Um, 
for sure. Um, the fact that um, the fact that Cologne didn't, you know, and and uh, you know, uh, Invader uh, refused to uh, be interviewed for the documentary, I think, is telling. Because um, mm -hmm. I would I would imagine they'd want to tell their side of the story, or at least Invader would. You know what I mean? If he was claiming self defense, like he said, like like the courts had said. Um, but the way the government handled it too, and like the, the court system in Puerto Rico, I thought it was, I thought it was such a shame. But you know, it got me like emotionally. Like I didn't cry or anything, but I like felt bad, and the story was very sad. And it got to the point where like it made me want to watch Brody stuff to find out who he was. Like the what what hooked me was that was that description in the beginning of that documentary when they showed old clips of Brody coming through the curtain, swinging the chain in the stands and just like, get, you know, really living that character. It was like those first few minutes of like Dutch and Tony Atlas describing what Brody was to the business was like the perfect description to someone who had never seen Bruiser Brody before, never watched him wrestle. Absolutely. So like, you know, I thought it was, and the, the music behind it, the way it was produced, like just those first few moments, like even my wife, she watched it with me and she was like, wow, that guy was crazy. I'm like, Nikki, you know, my, I said to my wife, Nikki, he lived it. He lived that gimmick. And like, yeah, that's why he was well, so successful. He compartmentalized the gimmick. Um, okay. you know, yeah, that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. He lived it on the road, but then with his family, it's a different thing. Yeah, he um, put it away. Yeah, no, you're right. That's but definitely a guy who I, I agree is like, man, after seeing that, like, I had seen some stuff and I thought, like, very cool, very cool. But I didn't know around that time, you know, he was kind of the innovator of that. Um, more or less the Mick Foley of taking punishment or blade jobs. Yeah, or the well, he hard created way. Before Foley did. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes. You know, no. You know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, reverse yeah. that. Reverse that. Yeah, Mick yeah. Foley is trying to take punishment in a way that he did. Instead of taking bumps, he took like hard way, like hits or cuts, and bladed yeah. a lot. Oh yeah. Dangerous situations, um, and we'll get into that more on marking out the days as we see some of the latter end of Bruiser Brody on WCCW. Um, some stuff here that I actually liked on the upcoming episode. So let's get into this day. Let's move along, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we went off a little tangent, but uh, up <laughs> no, next, uh, yeah, up next, what do we got? We got WC WCW NWA from 1987. It's basically a recap of the Crockett Cup Senior Memorial Cup which happened a couple weeks ago in Baltimore, which, guess who won? Dusty Rose and oh, Nikita Oh, motherfucker, Kolo. I signed my own check. I signed That's my right, own baby. check. I, I booked book myself. My own, I yeah. booked myself to win the whole thing, Daddy, and I brought the, I brought the communists with me. <laughs> yeah, so they won beating Lex and Tully in the finals. Uh good turn of events there i guess and then rick flair had to defend his world heavyweight championship against barry windham in a long match there but rick flair walked away with victory um in this episode we get the late introduction because april 4th was the actual introduction of a new member of the midnight express um a couple weeks ago april 4th Jim Cornette introduced a new member of the Midnight Express. It was Sweet Stan Lane. He was taking over for 
Um, who was the other guy? Dennis Condry. Dennis Condry. Yes, indeed. And it just kind of came out of nowhere. He kind of brought it up like, you know, we hadn't had the championship since like last year and we've been battling for it and I got a stronger, newer member. And he just came in sweet Stan Lane and everybody was like, woo. And they didn't bring up what had happened with Dennis Landry or Condry or anything like that at all. Um, and that I was believe Condry, I, I want to say Condry left on bad terms. Okay. Um, I, I want to say it was it was very sudden and abrupt, um, but he would eventually come back and uh, two years later with um, Randy Rose as the original Midnight Express with Paulie dangerously to feud with the new Midnight Express, which would be Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. But Thank this you was my much. first introduction to um, the Midnight Express with Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton. Uh, Same here. I yeah, this is the I first knew time a, I knew a, them as the Condry version before. Oh, so you, so you, oh, okay, so you were, you, you, you were aware I had, of. I had been gifted the Skyscraper 86 Starcade VHS. Yes, yes, that was my first, okay, so you know what, it's funny you say that, sorry to interrupt, but my, that was my first, all right, so my mistake, my first introduction was that Skyscraper event with Condry and Bobby Eaton against the Road Warriors at Starcade mm-hmm. 86. That was the only Midnight Express match I watched. And then the first time I saw the Midnights following that was with Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. And it was like a long time in between. Mm -hmm. So when I saw Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, I was like, where's the other guy? And not knowing what took place at five years old. but I I couldn't tell a difference. I mean, I just realized that now. I was like, oh, shit, they had interchanging members. Yeah, it, well, I mean, not necessarily interchanging, no, but like well, they yeah. replacement. You, yeah, yeah, one replaced the other, but um, yeah, I like honestly, I like the Stan Lane version. People like the original, yeah. but I like the Stan Lane version. I thought he was he was he he. They're he, a good he tag team. Like a, yeah, he was. He worked very well, and they brought like a a very like young kind of feel to it with him because he was a younger, good-looking guy. Definitely, definitely. Um, and they win a match with an assisted top rope splash, Oose. So, uh, oh. yeah, they're, yeah, they're <laughs> an innovative tag team. Jim Cornette cuts a promo after the match about the upcoming cage match he's going to have with Ronnie Garvin in May. So uh, he's booking it out for the territory, buddy. Vladimir Pietrov and Ivan Koloff have an enhancement match. And the ref with the jerry curl is Teddy Long, everybody. It's Teddy Long. Yeah. Ivan and Nikita are going to have a Russian chain match coming up in May as well. So they're booking for that. Then we have a little promo with Tim Horner and Ole Anderson talking about being at war with the Four Horsemen. So that'll be interesting. Um, You talked about before... Tim Horner was the only guy siding with Ole Anderson as he feuded with the uh, Four Horsemen. And it gives yeah. the show here. Yeah. yeah um, Ole, Ole's character was, you know, he, he didn't make any friends. And he had <laughs> the only one he had was Tim Horner. And it just didn't seem like it was enough. No. And will it be enough? We'll see in the weeks coming up. Brad Armstrong has an enhancement match. He wins with a Russian leg sweep against Randy Barber. Mm. 
I'm going to cut your hair, and it's going to be sexy. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe a little bit off the top, uh, clip the sides of the ears, fade it in a little bit, do a comb over, and if you're good, I'll give you a lollipop. Uh-huh. This guy has scalp the top and keep the back and sides long. Mm-hmm. What's that ace? They call it a business in the front and a party in the no, back. Well, he's scalped. Uh, you know, he's just bald. He's just, yeah. You know, it kind looks of. like the business is shut down. But uh, <laughs> if you go to the back door, they're uh, they're, they're, they're 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 selling everything, you know, half off. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. Ron Garvin gets a little match between Tiny Beeson. What the fuck type of name is that? Uh, this match goes way too long, and Ron Garvin wins with a punch. Ron Garvin is the worst. I just never liked him. What are your thoughts? Um, he was okay. I mean, I didn't like him, but I didn't dislike him. Okay. Road Warriors have a quick enhancement match. They win with a doomsday device. They talk about facing the Horsemen, and they're going to team up with Dusty and Nikita at Daytona Beach, baby, to go against the Horsemen in May. That's going to be a big-ass match, huh? Yeah, and that's and you know if you guys are are, are paying attention, um, that is going to um, they're, they're building towards what eventually would become War Games, the initial War Games <clears> match <throat> from Thank you. Uh, from July fourth of nineteen eighty seven. So uh, you know the, these these matches that they're that they're discussing is eventually going to lead them to War Games. So thank uh, you. Yep. Well, you're welcome. Yes. Uh, then we have Larry, uh, Larry, Larry Clark being beat by Lex Luger here with that power rack back breaker. Uh, they still don't know what to name it. J.J. Dillon cuts a promo with Lex about coming up for that U.S. championship against Nikita. So he's going to be challenging Nikita, like you said, all these moving parts here. And then the next segment. Oh, my God. I posted it on our Facebook page. It's the new breed, Sean Royal and Chris Champion. They're from the future, 2002. Did you see this? Unfortunately. <laughs> I saw what it on was Facebook. That? I saw it on <laughs> Facebook, and then when I was doing you know, notes for, for this recording, I was like, let me get to the part with the two fucking Chippendale dancers with the shitty haircuts, because that's got to be riveting television. And I was like, Chris Champion, Chris Champion. What's that name? That's that name. Um, the name's familiar. Yep. He just died recently, like a year, like not even a year ago. Mm-hmm. And then he he wrestled as um, Yoshi Kwong yes. in WCW. He was like the he was like the the Hong Kong Louis with like oh, you uh, can the, do top rope uh, with Harley Race. Yeah, yeah. He was like mm. the, the, the you can take a knee cactus- bump. You're going to be a Japanese guy. Yeah. Yeah, it was... This was terrible. Check it out on Facebook. I mean... Or don't. We won't blame you if you don't watch it either. I mean, but, you know, we are looking for for, for reviews and ratings and stuff like that. You know, like, rate, and review everything we do on social media. So, please, could could you just help us out and watch this abomination with their (laughs) fucking haircuts? And it looks like they... It looks like they they robbed the guy who owned Zubaz and like made their own outfits like 
They like they. Oh my god! So they like, came back the from fuck, 2002 to 1987 to try to save wrestling. E. Uh, it's not gonna work. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And they're calling out know. Boogie Woogie Man and his friend Lasertron, who's oh, Hector fuck. Guerrero under oh, a mask. All right, I get it. I get it. Crockett and Dusty, they were just putting all the shitty guys together so yep. they could just fucking put, give them a spot in the card so they'd just shut up. fucking book yeah. the laser tron with the fucking time-traveling motherfucker then get it over with, goddammit. That's right. We're going to put the homeless guy that you goes think out that's and dances. We're Cody's going to do with AEW. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, man. All right, well, let's yeah, move they, on. They, they basically just put all the shit together in one match and said, here you go. Definitely. Uh, All right, let's yeah, let's, let's let's try and save ourselves here. Ole Anderson and Tim Horner have an ima- enhancement match. Ric Flair has an epic promo about Daytona Beach. It's fucking awesome. I recommend watching this. This is a way to sell a city. This is a way to sell a town. This is a way to get pieces moving. And this is kind of like what wrestling is dwindled down to now uh, on YouTube and streaming services. It's about booking and going to the next card in town. Am I not wrong or am I, am no, I right? No, not it's, at all. It's so fucking weird that we're kind of seeing this time with Cody and his buddies involved in this kind of movement going on. I mean, yeah. we haven't seen it done. I mean, we've seen it done plenty, but it's just an interesting time with the internet, you know, being a different medium. Oh so. yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on there, especially with these guys lately. And it's very, um, it's a very old school mindset that they have. Yes. Uh, Arn Anderson has a match with the Italian stallion. Arn is the best <laughs> at being a fucking heel here. He's working it into the match with like technical holds and the way he dodges stuff. He like doesn't want to commit and he doesn't want to wrestle fully, but he'll like sneak off like little moves here and there. And I love that type of heel. He's not like overzealous. He's like kind of like swindling, you know, like his way through the match, you know? Arn Anderson, like I've, I think I've talked about this before. He was probably the real, like honest to God true first bad guy that i really enjoyed like he was no nonsense um he told it like it was and he got the job done in the ring and i think even as a kid i i subconsciously you know not knowing uh not knowingly you know respected him for that um and so um that's why he's still one of my all-time favorites um because he was so good like that's what that's one of the main reasons why i feel like he's probably the greatest wrestler to never be the world champion because he was so Mm. believable Mm. that like you know he he, it's like it's like he he was he, he was put in the wrong era as good as he was in the era that he you know made a name for himself in it was almost in a way like maybe 10 years earlier yeah exactly he'd have been the fucking champion in florida he'd have been the champion in texas he'd He'd have been been the harley race yeah 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 you know what i mean kansas city st louis like he would have been a he would have been a a a big name 
a big name, Definitely. you know, because he was so believable and he didn't have too much. He didn't. He wasn't really flashy, but he was. He was believable. He was badass. He had credibility, and that's why I love Arn Anderson, man. Yeah, love he Arn wins Anderson. with a gourd buster. I love this match. I love this promo after the match. I. Definitely recommend all the Ric Flair to the Arn Anderson spot of this and even the Ric Flair after, which I'm going to talk about. Just Arn Anderson is yelling, but he's not yelling. He's like, you talk about being the number one contender, but until you beat me, you're not. It's just like the inflection, like the way he's talking about it and like the intensity just builds so much more rather than just like, I'm going to read a scripted promo. And I'm going to inflect on the perfect parts. You know, like, it's a little different. It seems uh-huh. authentic, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just incredible stuff here. I highly recommend this little segment of Arn Anderson to see how great of a fucking wrestler he is. All around, complete package. Uh, then we move on with the show Ric Flair Verse Brody Chase. Ric Flair wins with a figure four, and I'm only telling you that so I can tell you that he fucking won a match with a figure four. Because yeah. everybody says he never won a match with a figure four. Well, he did it right here. Anyhow, long ass replay of the Crockett Cup. Dusty and Nikita win. We went over that. Then Lasertron goes against Daryl Dalton. Uh, yeah. He wins with a crossbody, Lasertron, that is. <laughs> Boogie Woogie Man comes out after, and he's kind of ripping off Dusty Rhodes and Macho Man in a way, and he's like, I don't know. I love Boogie Woogie Man. He's like one of the original gangsters of wrestling, if you will. He kisses Tony Schiavone at the end, and their interactions are always funny. Anyhow, Jimmy Garvin beats Billy Moore with a brain buster. Jimmy Garvin cuts a promo coming for Ric Flair's championship because he's called out Precious over and over again. Ric Flair is a meat market, says Jimmy Garvin, and he's going to close down his store. I guess Why, because Jimmy Garvin's a fucking vegetarian? Or a health inspector? I don't know. Yeah. And then J.J. and Tully Blanchard cut a promo on Ricky Morton coming for that TV title. Tully Blanchard going to put over Ricky Morton in a good match, baby. We'll see. Yeah. That, that, that should be interesting. I, 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 I got to find that because I'm a Rock and Roll Express guy, and Tully's another one of my favorites too. So that, for the that, TV that, title, that's a working championship, baby. That's right, baby. And the main event is The Barbarian. Defeating Clement Fields. Here's a job for me. Clement Fields. Clement Tommy Fields. Young. Tommy Young come and Clement here. Fields. Tommy Young, you come over here, you jack me off right now. Tommy you Young, you Fields, my Clements. Tommy Young, you come over here, you count one, two, three on Strawberry Fields right now. <laughs> Strawberry <laughs> Uh, all right, moving along with the day, WCCW 1987. You can find this on the network. It's episode 277. <sighs> Mike Von Erich died on April 12th, just to let you know. So, Really? Yes. April 12th of this year, 1987. 
we we would have covered the April 11th show if people would have donated to our podcast. I'm not trying to make, make them all of our feel listeners bad. Feel sorry or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Jesus Christ. I'm kidding. Mike would have lived if you guys. No, I'm kidding. Um, now Brian Adias and Mike Von Eric were setting up for a country whipping match, but uh, Mike Von Eric would, I guess, country whip himself, in a way. Oh God. All right, I'm Oof. sorry. So no, that's all good. But no, time out for a second. Country whipping match, and they're in Texas, and it, it, like the, all all the matches in, in world class were country whipping matches because they were all fucking. They all beat the shit out of each other. It didn't matter. Country whipping match. Come on, like I think that's a silly gimmick. And the way he got to it, uh, the promo, he just like had a hard time getting there. Bill Mercer had to like it, like help him out with it he was like and we're gonna have like belts and we're gonna whip each other and then he's like bill mercer's like and then uh what else is a what what's a country whipping match like kind of like coaching him along yeah Yeah. he's still struggling at the time oh boy yikes that's what you do when you push your family into the wrestling business when they don't want to get into it and then they, and then you, and then that results in them taking drugs because they're so depressed. They're doing something they don't want to fucking do to begin with. Right. Right. So, this episode, they don't mention anything, but the next episode that we will not be covering because nobody paid for because my father <laughs> died. <laughs> I'm kidding. They will cover it. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, so yeah. So if you want to find out how Mike Von Eric died, hey. don't pay us. Okay. And then go figure it out on your fucking own. All right. And then in two weeks, we'll be back to talk about how you didn't fucking pay us from the previous week. <laughs> and who, guess who else died? Chris Benoit. And it's, fi- oh, I'm sh- kidding. All right. All right, we're getting too deep. So WCCW 277, Brian Adias versus Steve Simpson. Brian Adias wins with a side leg sweep. I'm not going to call it a Russian leg sweep because he does it terribly. It's 10 minutes too long in this match. Steve Simpson, though, he looks like a version of Matt Riddle, if you will. If you look at this guy, he looks just like Matt Riddle in the face. Really? Okay, I'll have to look him up. And then, we talked about him earlier, Bruiser Brody, he has an epic promo, and he's back, and he's going to challenge Jeep Swinson, and he talks about all the scars on his forehead, and it's fucking phenomenal. He's like, you you see this here? And he like tucks his eye, and he has a scar across his eyeball, and he's like, this is from the fork running down my eye with Abdullah, and he like runs down another scar, and then another one. He's just great here. It's awesome. It's really awesome. Um, yeah, uh, great. Yeah, definitely, definitely good stuff. You got to check it out. Yeah. Uh, then Jack Victory against the Dingo Warrior, who is the Ultimate Warrior, and we know Jack Victory, who would later be in ECW, right? Yes, Jack Victory, who was the. Um, he, well, actually, he would he, before he was in ECW. He was actually in WCW yes. as well. Yes. 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 Um, yes. I want to say he was. Uh, who who was he working with in WC? Was he a part of like a tag team or like a look? Was he like Cactus, a group maybe? I think maybe or something. Maybe yeah. did he do something with Gary Hart too? Mm. Yes. Okay. 
I, I, I could be wrong, but I was just curious. But anyhow, yes, Jack Victory um, before, you know, ECW, WCW. Uh, um, my first recollection of him was ECW with Steve Carino and Tajiri and Rhino. But, yeah, Jack Victory um, yeah. in world class. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Against the Dingo Warrior in a Texas Heavyweight Championship match. That's the Dingo Warrior's belt. And it's like April 87. Hmm, when does the Warrior enter WWF again? Um, I want to say... 88 Rumble, right? Oh, uh, he was a part of it. Um, yeah, I, I could be wrong. Maybe late 87, definitely early 88, because he was okay. in the 88 Rumble. So, yeah, he's coming um, to an end here, so it's interesting. Yeah. But he wins with the clothesline in six minutes. Eh, okay, I guess. Jeep Swinson, the guy we talked about before, that big fucking dude, he's 380 pounds. And uh, talked about... Jeep Swinson made a cameo in a recent edition, is going to be making a cameo on a recent uh, episode, an upcoming episode of Kicking Out It 2, where... uh, where my brother Daryl and I, we sat down and we discussed um, uh, pro wrestlers in movies and their roles, and we kind of gave them, you know, like a star rating, not like a Dave Meltzer star rating, but like, like a, like the, their performance as this character in the particular movies. Um, and these are all movies that my brother Daryl watched, so he like sat down and he yeah. he went through the characters, the movie they were in, the character they played, and gave the star gave the star rating. It was a lot of fun. That's gonna drop in a few weeks over at Kicking Out It Two. But yeah, Jeep Swinson made a a special. Uh, cameo in this uh the, the, in that episode very cool very cool um did you know that he shot himself up with horse tranquilizers that does not surprise me and uh, horse growth hormones so yeah i i unfortunately knew a couple of guys that, in high school that um that got themselves all geeked up on on uh, like horse tranquilizers and 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 steroid like even like horse steroids too. Yeah, um, I'm saying like hormones. He would inject yeah. himself with horse hormones. That's yeah. how big he was. He was 380. Look at this guy in this episode. It's, oh yeah, it's, he, it's no, no, he's disgusting. a monster. Yeah, yeah. He's a he monster died at for 40 sure. years old though. Well, that's what happens when you stick all that Haw- shit. in your Hawkster head. spoke at his funeral though. You know something, dude? Dearly departed, but um, you know uh, he's still kicking like a horse and clucking. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) we had we once had a cage match, brother. I was on top. I had the strap. It was sold out to the rafters, dude. And the 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 Swinson brother Jeep of brothers, dude. He put me over big time, man. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for him slamming him and all that horse tranquilizing mass of a human being, brother, dude. I don't think Hulkamania would be immortalized like it is today, dude. Dare I say, Hulkamania would be nay. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. We've ended Retromania no no <laughs> Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We- so- <laughs> so-
then they do a promo of Jeep working out after, and he's a machine. He's like killing the punching bag. He's just pumping iron, lifting a shit ton of weights. And then at the end, he's loading an automatic rifle. Thank you. He's going to shoot up WCCW. Let's end all this shit, right? It's like, fuck this place. Right? Oh, my God. He's like, he's like, all these other guys are killing themselves. Why can't I fucking have fun? Why can't I shoot some people up? Yeah, I'm not going to shoot myself. I'll just fucking put the guys out of their misery that don't want to be here anymore. The main event is the Fantastics. That's the world-class tag team champions going against Eric Embry and the Grappler. Eh, it's an okay tag team match, but Embry punches his tag team partner. Classic tag team partner mix-up, right? Uh, but Tommy Rogers jumps on top of the grappler, and one, two, three, the Fantastics win. And then we get the roll of the credits, and the producer is Keith Mitchell. I, I accidentally mixed him up last week. With Kevin Dunn on that last episode. So that's where he comes from. It's all good. Yeah. All right. Moving on with the day. We have, um, this was a lot of fun because this is a a lot of what I grew up on. Um, We have WWF Superstars, which is on the WWE Network right now. Um, They have um, uh, April all the way through December of 1992, uh, each and every episode. A lot of my Saturday, so cool. excuse me, my Saturday mornings were um, were spent watching Wrestling Challenge or WWF Superstars or. Even, How um, old were you about this time? Ninety two. Ninety two. So I was probably nine years old. Uh, awesome. When this awesome time this to be a fan, down. right? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun watching this one, even though like you know there was a and I didn't realize how long the show was. You know what I mean? As a kid, um, I, I always thought it was an hour, but it was longer than that. Um, when I was watching this, um, you know, obviously no commercials, but um, so uh, I'll, I'll go through the match order real quick here, and then I'll just kind of bring up some of the the, the notable mentions from this show. Um, the Legion of Doom, Animal and Hawk, defeated Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill, who would be known as Gilberg, um, in two minutes and eighteen seconds. We saw the Repo Man also defeat Chris Hahn. Uh, Bret Hart defeated Tom Bennett to retain the WWF Intercontinental Championship in two minutes and nineteen seconds. Hmm. The Berserker. Um, who um, was managed by Mr. Fuji, brought his Viking experience to this match, defeating Mark Roberts. (laughs) The model, Rick Martell, and his arrogance defeated Red Tyler. The Texas Tornado defeated Warren Bianchi. Money Incorporated, Erwin R. Scheister, and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, with the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, retained their World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship over Jim Powers and... Buck Zumoff. We've talked about Buck Zumoff, mm. unfortunately, on this mm. program. We'll just leave it at mm. that. But the um, the notable mentions regarding this show, um, the Ultimate Warrior came out and cut a promo with uh, other kids that were dressed up in warrior paint, basically um, giving his reasons as to why he saved Hulk Hogan from Sid Justice and Papa Shango at WrestleMania 8. Uh, yeah. A very typical warrior promo that nobody really could understand, other than the fact he was foreshadowing a match with Sid in the very near future. Um, it was also on this episode that the Berserker uh, challenged The Undertaker to a match 
um, on Superstars for next week, and The Undertaker gladly accepted. And the most interesting notable mention from this show, uh, Mean Gene Oakland revealed on an Event Center report that the latest edition of the WWF magazine revealed Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair had doctored the photos from the WWF magazine of him and Miss Elizabeth. In reality, those are pictures of both Macho Man and Elizabeth, not mm. Ric Flair and Miss Elizabeth. So, um, yeah, that covers WWF superstars from November, or, um, April the 18th, 1992. Very cool. Um, and it kind of brings us full circle with everything from the past because the Legion of Doom are on this card. They're from NWA, WCC, or WCW at the time. Um, mm-hmm. We get Bret Hart, you know, being acquired. The Berserker from WCCW, he was in at the time. Um, there, Rick Martel, the Texas Tornado, who's, hey, that's Kerry Von Erich. It's just uh, interesting stuff here, you know, with yeah, everybody who was yeah. consolidated at the time. It just goes to show you the control that WWF had at the time over the territories in wrestling in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, I mean, which was pretty much like the end of the territory system in general. Yeah. Um, cool little episode, on. though. It was it was a lot of fun to go back and watch. And I've watched a few more after that, um, and uh, it's it's certainly it's it's certainly been a, a pretty cool little nostalgia trip. Um, you know, going back as a kid, like the event center stuff where they like hype up like the matches for um, you know upcoming uh, you know. Uh, local events in the area uh you know the green screen promos where the guys have like their logo in the background yeah. and they're cutting the promo like that was pretty cool yeah. um stuff like that just like stuff i grew up on De- definitely a lot of fun to watch Very but cool. um we uh we we move on with this day as um later that evening on the same day in the same year april the 18th 1992 we have an edition of wcw saturday night another um batch of wrestling i grew up watching um on saturday evenings when i had the opportunity as a kid uh this episode um began with scotty flamingo defeating johnny rich Mm. Uh, oh before before i get into that um this was their this was the transition from like um i want to say like they 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 were transitioning you know into a smaller studio format yeah. Um, with this at the time, so they would take the ring and they would turn it into like a talk so talk show kind of stage, and they would do interviews and show clips and stuff like that. And then you would go to like the matches that were in another location, and Jr. and Dusty would do the commentary for those matches. Um, had kind of like a prime time wrestling kind of vibe with a live studio audience. And then the main event would take place in center stage in that studio. Um, they would re. You know, they would set it up so that it was, you know, looking, you know, like a full arena. But um, that's what Eric Bischoff eventually like he like the Disney stuff. You know, they love that studio wrestling. You know, like you book like four weeks out, you do some yep. TV stuff and then you have like yeah. a couple like classic matches in front of the crowd there. And then you book that out, you know, several months in advance. It's all yep. yeah, compartmentalized. Oh, yeah. Um, very cool stuff though. Not a bad wrestling show. If I say, if I don't say so myself, like it's very like strategically booked and you'll get into that with the top 10 rankings. So I'll shut up. No, 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 that's no, that's quite all right. No, I, 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 I always enjoy the input. Um, like I said, Scotty Flamingo defeated Johnny Rich. Um, then we had just, uh, 
JR Dusty breakdown Sting's title win over Lex Luger at Super Brawl 2. Sting comes out for an interview, and he's basically asked about his challengers, such as Rick Rude and Vader. Sting being the babyface that he is as the defending world champion claims that he's ready for anything and everything that WCW has to offer. Um, we then move on, and Vinny Vegas, who is known as Kevin Nash or Big Daddy Cool Diesel, defeats Chris Sullivan in under four minutes. And then, yeah, pretty much. Um, we go to, um, actually, I did notice one thing that I found interesting when he delivered the snake eyes move where he like drops the guy onto the top turnbuckle, mm -hmm. Nash dropped to his knees when he delivered that move. Um, kind of, I'm curious if he meant to do that or he realized maybe I shouldn't be falling on my knees so much. And he modified it so that he's just basically standing and he throws the guy and the guy's head hits a turnbuckle. Yeah, it kind of hurt my knee, bro. So I don't know if I'm going to do that anymore. <laughs> Does look impactful, though. I do remember that spot. That is fucking a good spot, though. He made yeah. it look it, it looked better, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know, though. <sighs> what do you think? A guy taking a bump on his knee doing the snake eyes, or he lets the guy fall from as high as he can throw him. Yeah, right? So Yeah, that's yeah. that that is a tricky one. We'll have to come back to that in two weeks because you guys aren't fucking paying us to listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's Vinny Vegas's fault. Yeah. Vinny Vegas dropping to his knees is the reason. <laughs> is the reason why you motherfuckers aren't paying us. To do this podcast. There you go. Uh, Blame Vinny Vegas and his knees. Over at Retromania Pod. <laughs> you can email us, rate, write, like this review, and all that other shit that Kobe talks about at the beginning of this podcast when it comes to all your fucking donations that we hope you'll get someday because we love you all. Let's continue. WCW Top 10 Rankings. <laughs> um, I thought this was kind of cool, this little system that they did here. Um, it's something I think that they could kind of implement in today's wrestling Love where it. you can make wins and losses yes. mean something and have like a ranking system and you know they're not just throwing guys out of nowhere that to to, to earn title shots and stuff yep. like that i think it's some sh this is what i liked about wcw in 1992 as much as people really give bill watts a hard time for his booking and for the way that he ran the company he had some different ideas to try and stand out from the WWF at that time. And this was one of them, doing a ranking system with, with wrestlers and, you know, kind of making people care about these guys and the wins and the losses. It's that wrestling they, you know, with a plot and a thought behind it. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. And it's sports. Um, yeah, it, it's got like an athletic feel to it. You know what I mean? Yep. TNA did it uh, a number of years ago. They tried it. They were okay and, uh, at it, but the, yeah. they didn't follow through. Yeah. Like there was the, the, the thought was there. Mm -hmm. But then like once they started shifting guys around and they were getting like, I don't know, it was it was almost too much storyline with their with their ranking system. Like right. guys were costing other guys matches, so they would lose a point in the rankings and then all of a sudden someone would shoot up from nine to two, you know, I don't know. It was just it was just very yeah. like they didn't have a like a, a real thought out plan for it. But this but, um, list is a fucking who's who's of wrestlers. Well yeah, except for number ten. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, Go through it. I mean, that's just my opinion. But um, then coming in at number 10 on this WCW top 10 rankings list, you had the Taylor made man, Terry Taylor, um, 
who you know is is a who's who in wrestling according to Kobe Nida. Um, but <laughs> um, he's at number ten. Um, he was doing like a, a like a poor man's million dollar man gimmick at this time, and I believe. Um, this was after the, the, the York Foundation, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. You remember that at yep. all? Yep. Yeah. That was like very he like... He became Terrence Taylor. Terrence Taylor, that's right, with Richard Morton yes. and Thomas Rich, yes. along with Alexandria York. And she Mr. had a computer. Yeah, that's right, yeah. She had a Plot computer. Plot out the matches. Would... It was the yeah, future but... of wrestling, everybody. WCW, yeah. always thinking about the future. Oh, I know. <laughs> Anyhow... Um, Number nine, Cactus Jack. Uh, you know, definitely deserving on this list. Number eight, Barry Windham. Uh, coming in at number seven on this top ten rankings was Ron Simmons. Number six, an individual who will be in the main event of this telecast, Larry Zabisco. Number five, Dustin Rhodes. Number four, world television champion, stunning Steve Austin from the Dangerous Alliance. Number three, Big Van Vader, he was mentioned earlier um, as a potential challenger for Sting. Number two, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Not Vicky, but Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And number one, Ravishing Rick Rude. Wow. Wow. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, speaking of uh, Dangerous Alliance, we had Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson from the Dangerous Alliance. The World Tag Team Champions defeat Joe Cruz and Terry Austin. What I found interesting about this match was the fact that um, the, 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 the enhancement guys got a lot of offense in, in this match, and it took Anderson and Eaton a while to kind of put them away, considering the other enhancement matches we, we, we watched earlier on well, this program. They're guys that would give them a lot you know they would showcase their wrestling throughout the match I, I, yeah. I thought it was a good comeback match yeah but they gave him a little too much if you will yeah oh yeah but um it wasn't it wasn't what i expected but at the same time it wasn't bad either right um we had a WCW Magazine segment after this with Eric Bischoff hyping Wrestle War 92. Um, there's a pre-tape promo with the Steiners as they discuss facing Fujinami and Izuka, or Lizuka. I don't even know how you pronounce that. Um, That's the guy with the golden glove who recently retired and gave it to Taichi. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. Interesting. Well, the Steiners could hardly pronounce these guys' names. Um, <laughs> and... Um, that was interesting. Um, and then, you know, they, they cut to DDP. He was interviewed by JR in a pre-tape discussing issues he had with WCW President Kip Allen Fry, which was a very, like, at the time, it was a... Controversial. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very he was cussing or calling him out online to, or calling him out on television, too. It was, yeah. you know, kind of behind the scenes, kind of pre-attitude era, if you will. The origin of yeah, attitude. Very, precursor to like an authority figure storyline where the authority figure has an issue with a talent yep. you know um i don't think there was much follow-up though but uh, no but it's the- it's very cool seeing ddp is that role which later he would be like the stone code role in D- wcw like years later in 97 yeah. you know it's kind of oh, yeah. just ah. i mean it's like these guys had stories and then somebody from wwf went well i can put it together better uh, yeah, that's kind of what Pretty they do. It. Anything you can yeah. do, I can, can do better. better. Yes. Um, 
Speaking of uh, doing better, um, this next match could have done a lot better. Um, as we saw Marcus Alexander Bagwell teaming up with Tom Zink, the Z-Man. Tom Zink, da 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 Tom Zink, da 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 <laughs> Let me tell you why. He's just like one of the guys. Tom Zink, da 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 Tom Zink, da 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 they defeated Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker mm. and Randy Starr. Mm. Nothing major to, uh, to to really discuss here other than it uh, looked like they wanted to groom these two as really, you know, like a white meat babyface tag team to eventually face off against Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton. Um, yeah, right. Macho of, Man, the Randy boys. Starr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I love how I love how they, they introduced Sergeant Bailey Parker from the state police. Yes. Like, well, what state is he from? No. no what state, state is he from? Georgia. Yeah, so, probably. Yeah, yeah probably, or Virginia. But yeah, they're um, gearing up for Anderson Eaton, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was that was definitely apparent in the commentary too when they were talking about you know Zinc and Bagwell eventually moving up the ranks. Yes, um, very you know, NXT WC, or I mean, just like that. What NXT and SmackDown does now, the way they book. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's very telling. They're they're going off this of uh, this nostalgia bit of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, the main event for this show saw Nikita Koloff defeating Larry Zabisco in two straight falls wow. in the main event. Um, it was a pretty solid match. It was slow at times, but it picked up towards the end of each fall. Um, it seemed like they were really building towards dissension within the Dangerous Alliance, especially, you know, highlighting the cruncher, Larry mm-hmm. Zabisco, um, as like the weak link of the group. Um and the show ended with Missy Hyatt trying to get the scoop on the, the status of the Dangerous Alliance. And she finds Paulie basically chewing out Larry Zabisco's ass for losing. They notice that the camera's there. They tell her to scram. Um, and then they cut back to JR and Dusty where they hype next week's show as Barry Windham faces stunning Steve Austin in a television title match. Two out of three falls for the main event. They interview both guys in pre-tapes and close the show with that. So if you guys want to know what happened there, then you need to fucking pay us so we can do a podcast on Steve. <laughs> Austin versus Barry Windham in a TV title match for two out of three falls, possibly next week. Donations can be made at uh, KobeKnight at gmail.com. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, no, we'll, we'll get to a Patreon at some point or a premium no, I content. But, I, I mean, we're we're doing it bi-weekly. Eventually we'll get there to that day. I'm just I'm just saying, you know, if everybody wants that content, we can produce that, but it needs to oh, be. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just messing around. Yeah. I appreciate any listeners that we have, yeah. um, you know, what, whatsoever. I'm just I'm just breaking balls. Yeah. So uh, please don't take That's anything our running too gag seriously. for this episode then. Yeah, usually we have some kind of running gag. Like for a while it was Lil Diggy Murdoch, but, you know, now it's basically pay fuck you, pay me. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, pay me. That, that's that's our running gag this week. Fuck Thank you, pay you. me. You want a new podcast next week? Fuck, Fuck you, pay, pay me. me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice. Um, so, yeah, good episode, though, of Saturday night's main event. Saturday night's main event or WCW Saturday night? WCW Saturday night, I'm sorry. Okay. No, yeah. I, was, I was a little confused. That, but, yeah, no, I, I They would it. later have... What, what did they have? They had Sunday night's main event or what? What was that? They had a main event. WCW? Show. Yes. 
They did. They had a main event called the. They had a show called the main event. They had all kind. They they had a lot of programming for for you know all the wrestling they were putting out. They had. You think you think fucking three. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Three hours of Raw is difficult to watch these days. But the amount of programming that WCW had at the time Shit. was eighty seven. Well, was like we talked about a lot on this episode. That's a lot. Yeah, but like the the amount of shows, like you know. You had WCW Saturday night on Saturday evenings. You had WCW Pro in the mornings at like 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. You had WCW main event on Sunday nights at 6.05. There was no Nitro. There was no Thunder. Um, then you had your Clash of Champions and your pay-per-views. Like, you had three shows in like a two- or three-day span sometimes. Like, it was crazy. So you, you think yeah. Raw's bad. For three hours in one night, try trudging through, you know, three different shows in two days that WCW was putting out. And trying to keep up with the storylines. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a lot. And sometimes the storylines weren't even consistent either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, so. or champions weren't. Yeah. Um, we would get into that later. Uh, Monday Night Raw, 1994. Let's move on with this day. Yes, let's do it. The opening here, it's Jerry Lawler coming out with that throne and it's a beautiful spot where they dip and he just falls and hits his face on the apron. It's an amazing Mm -hmm. spot though. I just loved it. He did it perfectly and it's a good way to intro the show. I don't know. I like that for 1994 sake. Yeah, no, it was fun. It it was certainly fun to watch Um, and Lawler, Lawler, you know, was a good, a good heel in the sense that, you know, he could... He could, you know, embarrass himself but still be able to get heat. Yeah, he um, sucked his own and, and, foot. Yeah, oh, God. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> moving on with the show. Bret Hart versus Quang. Owen's on the phone during this match, and he's talking about the revenge tour that'll be happening. That's post-WrestleMania 10. That's the revenge tour where Owen and Bret Hart were basically headlining all the house shows, right? Yes, yes, it was, um, it was for the title because uh, Brett won at WrestleMania, and um, they were, you know, seeing, you know, how well you know him and Owen could do on the uh, on the on the live event loop, building towards what would eventually be SummerSlam later that year. Um, but you know, some 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 really good stuff from those two on the live events from stories and accounts I've heard over the years. Definitely, I think like some faux title changes too along the way. Oh, really? Interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look into that more. I think there's one match where um, Owen stepped away the champion, but it was like kind of reversed or not clarified. Dusty finish yes, style? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. So, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, so this match with Bret Hart and Quang, it's a Bret Hart match, but there's some mist being involved, but eh, whatever. Bret Hart pulls out his greatest hits and then hits the sharpshooter for the victory. Then we have Jeff Jarrett against PJ Walker. Hey, guess who that is? Justin Credible. Right. It's not a bad match. Jeff Jarrett wins with the DDT, though. That's about it. And then we talked about the Steiner brothers earlier. They're back on this episode of Raw, though. They defeat my boy Mike Corey and his buddy Barry Hardy. I know Mike Corey. I spoke about him on a prior episode. Mike Corey gets kind of hurt at the beginning and kind of doesn't sell too well. So then they tag him Barry Harden and he gets beat down for the rest of the match. And then all of a sudden Scott throws Mike 
I mean, Scott throws Barry into the corner and tags in Scott, and he's like, I'm going to finish you. And he, like, fucks up. <laughs> he fucks up Mike. He, like, beats him on the back really hard. And then he gives him a double underhook powerbomb. And then he gives him this spinning, killer-throwing, suplex, tombstone pile driver at the end. Uh, huh. Yeah, the tiger driver, basically. Uh, yeah, Mike sold it. Mike sold it like death. One, two, three. And they win. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. We get a preview of Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Oh, God. Yikes. I was a fan as a kid, unfortunately. For some reason. Him? I don't know. I was like... Intri- Delete your social media account right away. What the I fuck? was intrigued for some reason for a short period, and then he never came up again, and then I was like, ah, whatever. Nah, nah. The only thing I liked about Duke the Dumpster Drossy was the one match he had, I think, with Jerry Lawler, where they took the... Um, where he or maybe it was a segment where like Lawler like smashed him over the head with a garbage can. That was yeah. like the first time I ever saw like a garbage can shot. So that was the only resemblance of 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 me liking Duke Josie. That was um, an epic spot, and we talk about that on the origin of attitude, Jimmy and I, because uh, the damage that Jerry King did to Duke the Dumpster Drozzy on the USA Network hadn't really been seen at the time. The guy you know, getting hit in the head with a trash can and the words that Jerry the King said as he beat him down and everything. Jerry the King had to apologize to the network and everybody the week later on television. Really? Yes. Okay. Interesting stuff All right. there. That, yeah, that is a, that's pretty interesting considering it was a garbage can shot, but, you know, at that time it was, you know. Pretty brutal. Was, yeah, pre, what a, you know was pretty brutal yeah so for 1994 standards yeah and then speaking of the king he has the king's court and he brings along the women's champion alundra blaze and we talked about the women's division on last episode that we did for marking out the days of special of wrestlemania 9 uh we talked about sherry martell and possibly luna vachon starting the women's division and maybe there being some contention for wrestling and women's stuff and i said maybe in the next year there would be and guess what literally almost a year chronicled we're here for this uh spot where all of a sudden luna would show up as a big surprise to you know challenge alunda blaze nonetheless and Alundra Blaze kind of challenged her and said, where's my belt? Because Alundra Blaze's belt is missing. I don't know what's going on. She didn't throw it in the trash can yet, but uh, it's part of the storyline. So it's kind of interesting here, right? That we brought that yeah. up and then it goes on here where Luna is actually involved. Yeah, that is. Yeah, very, very interesting. Considering the last episode we recorded, we were talking about that. Yeah. Um, then we have a match with Earthquake defeating Mike Bell in about 355, a huge slam, and then the Earthquake smash. Nothing much to see here. Mike Bell tries to show off a lot. He looks like a uh, uh, mix between uh, Bo, Leave, and uh, Bull. Yeah. Oh, um, the fuck? Uh, Bo Dallas. Yep. And, okay. And the bull guy from uh, NXT as well. 
Oh, um, he's no longer with them yeah. anymore. I know who you're talking about. Um, Bull. Bull Dempsey or yes, something like that. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. okay. Uh, then we have Erwin R. Scheister defeating Major Yates. What a name there, Major Yates. And this looks exactly like a Bray Wyatt match if you watch this match. It's just uh, Erwin R. Erwin R. Scheister doing slow plotting moves, suplexes, power slams, stuff like that. And in between, he's pulling up his pants and readjusting. And and then, guess what he wins with? A penalty. You know what that is? No, I do it's not. It's the STF. Okay. That was Erwin R. Scheister's other finisher, other than a sleeper. Uh, but it's interesting that Erwin R. Scheister the father of Bray Wyatt would have the finisher of the STF and he would, you know, later go on Bray Wyatt and John Cena would feud STFU. Okay. Interesting. Just tying in the lines there. Yeah, no, absolutely. We get a commercial at the end for NBA jam, 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 jam. They talk about all the time. Yeah. You remember NBA jam? He's on fire. I do. Yes, I do. That was a great video game. Yes, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, we end the show with Johnny Polo, who is Raven, in a vocal booth, or at least what everybody should be recording around in a podcast booth or some shit like that. He's talking about the Quebecers going to have to face the Wild Samoans next week. And we'll be right back, and welcome back. Next week we preview a bunch of matches, and we end the show. I hate how they always do that. It's like 30 seconds of running down the matches and then they end. They probably always got me as a kid. You know, I was like, all right. Some of the matches. Yeah. If it was like a, it was like a, a big match, like, like on here, like Razor Ramon against Jeff Jarrett. Like, okay, that wouldn't be bad. Or like, yeah. you know, you know, one, two, three kid, no one hard. Like, all right. Yeah. But like when they'd run down the matches, like next week, it'll be head shrinker Samu against Quebecer Pierre. Right. Like, like who, who gives a shit? You know, Bastion Booger against Coco Beware. Right. Like, you know. And then at the end, Jerry Lawler is like, next week, I'm going to bring out, you know who? Guess what? Nikolai Volkov. It's like, ah, fuck. What? I'm not sticking around. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was your Raw. Moving on with this block of the day. Let's go to ECW 1995 and then 1998. Let's do it. The Pitbulls come out and they wreck and destroy Johnny Hotbody and Johnny Stetson. And then they become Raven's slaves, if you will. Stevie Richards says, I bring you a better tag team and I delivered. Stevie Richards is trying to win the approval of Raven, who was Johnny Polo in our last episode. Uh, He's become something different in the last year, huh? Oh, yeah, definitely a, a, a transformation. Um if you will. Um, and you know, the, it was drastic too, if if I say so myself, um, in in a good way, because the Raven character, I think is one of the most underrated characters in all of wrestling, but to see him from, you know, being this very like upbeat, you know, sneaky chicken shit, you know, weasel of a character to this dark brooding badass, you know, um, that, that was Raven. Um, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely different, but it was it was a cool transformation. Yeah, yeah. And the whole time, Stevie Richards is like kind of like transitioning from the late, 
80s, early 90s, into the later 90s throughout this whole storyline as we'll go. But he brings out Beulah McGillicuddy for the first time ever on ECW TV. He's like, this is the girl that you were talking about. And guess what? It's the girl from summer camp that started the rivalry between Tommy Dreamer and Raven. This is the whole bane of their uh, rivalry, if you will. Oh, okay. It's the girl that uh, they both wanted. Um, yeah, and it's a hell of a. Wasn't f- she like a fat girl at the time too? Right. Yeah. So they get I think into so, it right? there. Yeah, they'll get into it more as we go along. But she's out here, and Stevie Richards is out. And Raven and Tommy Dreamer are about to have a hell of a fucking match. We need to cover this for a bonus episode because we already covered one of their matches for the bonus episode 11 that we did for Retromania. This is a great match, uh-huh. I will say. Okay. Um, I'm down. Uh, Stevie Richards kisses Beulah on the outside. She kind of slaps him soft and then he chokes her and like wrings her neck and everybody's laughing, but it's like kind of dramatic. Tommy Dreamer comes out to kind of save her and she turns around and sprays him in the face with some shit that she had in her hand. It was a swerve the whole time. He gets super kicked in the face by Stevie Richards, then DDT'd to the concrete by Raven, and Raven puts him in the ring, pins him, one, two, three. Holy shit, they set him up and beat him down. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, then, all of a sudden, we have the new... ECW TV champion cutting a promo. It's Eddie Guerrero, and it's not a good promo at all. I mean, he's trying his best. It's not Eddie. If you want to see Eddie Guerrero, like, you know, early stuff here, Eddie Guerrero 95 is like, he's white meat baby face. He's like, I'm at the top, baby. And if anybody wants to come and get this, come and get this, baby. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah, the, it's not the Eddie, that, it's not the Latino to... heat that we know. Well, no, he was still, you know, he, he was, he was still, you know, catching his bearings and trying to figure out who he was as a performer. I mean, the in-ring stuff, he was pretty, you know, he, he pretty much had it down, but getting, building a character and, and getting, you know, get, finding that, you know, that within himself, I, you know, it took him a little while, but you know, that, that all, it happens to all the greats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in this, uh, episode, Shane, Douglas and Sandman will face off for the ECW title. Woman turned on Sandman to join Shane Douglas in the last pay-per-view event or special that they had. Uh, So then they have a match. This is not a bad match. It's not the best, but I love a championship match like in the middle of the show that kind of stretches on, you know, goes a little long with the story at the end. Um, Yeah. Douglas gets Sandman in a cross-faced chicken wing. Uh, interesting stuff here because he's talked about Backlund and Ric Flair so much. And he, you know, we talked about him being a biter. Anyhow, uh, woman walks around. She hits Douglas in the back of the knee with a kendo stick. He falls over. Sandman is on top of Shane Douglas. The referee counts one, two, three. We have a new ECW champion. It was all a plot again with a woman. And the fans chant, you got fucked. You got fucked. You got fucked. And then all of a sudden they chant, Shane is gay. 
Shane is gay. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and then Shane puts on a Shane Douglas, that is not Shane McMahon. He puts on a Monday night raw t-shirt and says, I'm going where I can wrestle. And uh, they say, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye. So we'll see what would come of that. But Sandman is the new ECW champion, and he cuts a promo at the end. And smoking a cigarette and everything, celebrating with women in the ring. 1995, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, well, what a a time to be alive. Wow, yeah. (laughs) Uh, and then moving on 1998 let's fast forward it's the Dudley boys destroying Sandman and Tommy Dreamer at the top of the show with honorary Dudley's the Bushwhackers yeah I did not know that this took place I when I watched this the other night I was like what the fuck the Bushwhackers Luke Dudley and Butch Dudley yeah I mean like Holy cow. Like, I was like, wow, those guys are really, they're really starving for work if they were going to go, you know, work for Paul Heyman. But, um, you know, it's funny that, like, Heyman tried to create this narrative of, and he did a very good job of it, of, you know, this us versus them kind of mentality and how, like, the, the, the talent that he has under his roof are, you know, homegrown and, you know, he's utilizing them to the best of their abilities, and he's not, you know, using old, washed-up has-beens that are past their prime because, you know, that's that's something that ECW, you know, performers prided themselves on is that they weren't, you know, established guys that, that had basically made a name for Shane themselves. Shane Douglas. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, Shane Douglas, you know, used to do that a lot when he would direct his anger towards Ric Flair and his promos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you have, in 98, he's trotting out the fucking Bushwhackers in Dudley Boys t-shirts. Like, <laughs> And then Sid, we saw on earlier episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was just like, it, to me, it was just very weird. Like, you know, just I, I just felt like the, 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 the narrative in and of itself was, you know, very hypocritical of Heyman. Well, that was, that is Heyman. In a sense, he's working all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, definitely some interesting stuff here. Um, they give multiple 3Ds to Tommy and Sandman. Sandman takes one that looks like it breaks his neck. Do you think that's legit? Or that was that's just a, a spot? Yeah. Yeah, he, he fell on his shoulder. Um, it's a work, definitely. So they replay it back and back, and then they replay stuff because, oh, we were supposed to have a match, so let's just have a recap episode where they recap RVD and Sabu for the TV title, and they recap a match of RVD and Bam Bam Bigelow. Then they recap a match of Samu, the Tonga Kid, against Sabu. Interesting stuff there, right? Yeah, I didn't know that either. That was interesting to uh, to watch as well. Yeah. Um, so some interesting stuff there. They have matches booked for Wrestlepalooza 1998 coming up. Um, Just Incredible is going to be on that card. You know, stuff like that. RVD against Sabu. Um, Shane Douglas defending his title against Al Snow. 
Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> so moving on with the show, we have Landstorm and Chris Candido against Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten. Chris and Lance hate each other. Um, so they're like, they've been feuding, but if Lance loses, he'll be fired. So, um, it kind of gives like respect to the title. Like that's what they put in the storyline. He like, they were like, you can't hurt the respect of the title. So you have to like, at least defend it, you know, or you'll be fired, you know, Yep. in a, Mm -hmm. in a prestigious way, you know, you can't be a dick. Um, I like that. Which it it can work in like the authority figure way. Um, Chris Candido wins this match and steals the victory as Lance drops an elbow on Axel. Then Danny Doring and Roadkill make an appearance and they kind of call out Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney. Axel comes out and just smashes them in the face with chairs, like legit face shots with chairs. Yeah, just taking one yeah, for the team, brutal. guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty Just brutal. go out there and get hit in the fucking face with a chair. Yeah, sure. 50 bucks. All right. Um, then Chris Candido says he wants a match with Lance Storm and he wants it right now. And this is not a bad match, right? No, it wasn't bad at all. Um, it was pre- it was pretty good. These two guys had good chemistry together and, uh, you know, very uh, fast paced uh matchup for that time in 1998 thought it was good yeah and chris candido tries to come off the top rope with some type of leg drop maneuver but it gets turned into a power bomb by lance storm caught one two three wow good stuff there um then we get a slow-mo recap of that neck breaking incident that we saw earlier with sandman getting his neck broken i'm doing heavy air quotes Uh, and he gets wheeled off in an ambulance from the stretcher in a neck brace pretty epic there then triple threat that's bam bam bigelow chris candido shane douglas and francine they come out and beat down john cronus and shane berates chris chetty who is the cousin of taz taz comes out to defend his cousin, I'm using air quotes again, but he slaps Chris Chetty and suplexes him. And he says, you think I give a fuck about that bitch? You think I give a fuck about my family? You think I give a fuck about myself? And everyone's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's 1998, everybody. <laughs> yeah, a lot of F-bombs. Yeah. A lot of F-bombs. Yeah, or not, you know, not giving a fuck about nobody, including myself. Uh, Shane and Taz have a screaming match and Shane says, uh, you're jealous because Al Snow has a title match. And if you want to, you can break my fucking arm. You'll never do it though. Because if you do, none of you guys will eat around here because I'm the reason the money comes to this business. And, uh, Taz all of a sudden grabs his arm, snaps it, breaks it, I guess, quote unquote, Bam Bam Bigelow beats the shit out of Taz on the outside. They battle, and Shane is screaming about his arm, and they go off the air going, what's going to happen at Russell Palooza 1998 between Al Snow and Shane Douglas? Hmm. Kind of good stuff, though. Yeah, this was... Yeah, not bad. I mean, Taz, clearly, they're building towards, you know, him and Douglas. This was the beginning of... This was 
the early parts of that. Um, which I like how culminate. him and Bam had that, like you know, that that segue though. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No. Bam Bam was like that stopgap. Like he had Taz had to get through Bigelow to eventually get to Douglas, and they'd done some. You know, we talked about it on, when we covered Guilty as Charged, nineteen ninety nine. So, um, but this was the this was the early parts of it, um, and it was it was pretty good stuff. I liked it. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, anything else you want to talk about Sunday Night Heat at all? Uh, I don't really have too much notes about that. It's just stuff with Shane and Vince kind of feuding and the corporate corporation and the ministry in feuding. And then at the end, we have Triple H, X-Pac, and The Rock in a triple threat match. That's about it. Yeah, nothing really, uh, nothing really to write home about there. That was like the early parts of um, the corporate ministry, like that they were, you know, the before they, you know, branded them. Yeah, you know, the, the the before the higher power stuff, and you know, Rock had stolen Austin's belt, and you know, things like that. They were heading towards backlash, um, you know, later, you know, the the following week. So yeah, nothing really, you know, too serious to to get into. Yeah, there was some. Uh, like a sit down interview with the rock and Jr. that was kind of like being more personal with the rock. That was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. That was the only notable yeah. stuff. Kane comes out to finish everybody off at the end to interfere in the, the triple threat. So there's no clear victor between DX, the corporation and the ministry. Um, no. Yeah. But a lot of moving parts there. Um, yeah. So nonetheless, I, I would say maybe check out that J.R. Rock stuff. That's kind of interesting. I like that bit. Backlash 2004 took place um, April the 18th, 2004. Um, we'll just kind of run this down real quickly. Opening match on that card saw Shelton Benjamin defeat Nature Boy Ric Flair in 9 minutes and 29 seconds. Um, yeah, this was a month after WrestleMania 20. Um so uh, Flair was still part of Evolution. They had drafted Shelton over from SmackDown to Raw, and he had that upset win over Triple H. So they were kind of giving him a little bit of a push. Um, f- following that match, we saw Jonathan Coachman with Garrison Cade's help defeating Tajiri in 6 minutes and 25 seconds. Um, didn't really care for that. Chris Jericho defeated Christian and Trish Stratus in a handicap match in 11 minutes and 12 seconds. Mm. Uh, this, this was after uh, Trish had turned on Jericho yes. and joined Christian Getting at WrestleMania a month prior. Yes, exactly. Victoria defeated Lita for the to, to retain the WWE Women's Championship in 7 minutes and 22 seconds. Probably the match of the night here um, is Randy Orton defeating Cactus Jack in a hardcore match for the WWE Intercontinental yeah. Championship. Um, this was the match that made Orton into a star, Definitely, in my opinion. Definitely. Um, 23 you know, minutes, what a classic. It was awesome. Yeah, great stuff here from, from those two. Um, one of my favorite matches to go back and watch. Uh, we saw the Hurricane and Rosie then defeat La Resistance um, in a tag team match in five minutes and two seconds. Edge making his pay-per-view return after being out of action with a neck injury, defeating Kane uh, in six minutes and 25 seconds. And in our main event, lightning struck twice as Chris Benoit retained his World Heavyweight Championship in the final encounter triple threat rematch over Shawn Michaels and Triple H with a submission. The sharpshooter mind you over uh sean michaels and this yeah. pay-per-view took place in benoit's hometown of edmonton alberta canada so you can only imagine 
the 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 amount of you know um, support he had from his audience, yeah. from his fans in in the audience that night. Uh, yeah, not a bad show. It was a two match show in my opinion when it came to the triple threat and the intercontinental title match that was you know under hardcore rules. Everything else. You could really forget about, but go out of your way to watch those two matches, Definitely. especially Orton and Cactus. Definitely. Really good stuff. Yeah, those two in sequence, I think that brings out the whole card. Um, and that kind of, the cap at the end with the sharpshooter on Shawn Michaels kind of tells the whole story of Canada getting the victory. You know? Yeah. Or, you know, just like kind of just sewing up those storylines that they like to do, like that we talk about through history on this show, Marking Out the Days. Um, exactly. That's what wrestling does. It brings you back with nostalgia. It kind of ties you in with everything. Uh, this was definitely the capper for the whole rivalry, if you will. I don't know. Would you say this match or the WrestleMania match? Uh, the WrestleMania match okay. is probably the more dramatic yes. and the better one. Although this was a good match in its own right. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I enjoyed it. A little different. Um, it was a little different, but you know what? It's it, it it's the it, 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 it's I, I compare this match and the match that they had at WrestleMania in the same vein that I compare Sean and Undertaker from twenty five and twenty six. They're both great matches in their own right, um, but you know the 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 rematch doesn't top the original. Right. I agree. So. Um. Well. That's about it for the day, then. Yes, I think we are all set with today. April the 18th in wrestling history, another day down. Yes, indeed, and we do it all within two hours. We knocked it out the park one more time, if you will. Uh, Next day, what's that going to be, Dave? We are going to be covering April the... Let me look at the calendar here, because it's two weeks now. It's going to be May, my brother. May, excuse me. It's going to be May and May 2nd. And it's going to be actually on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. That's right. It will We're not be on, be on this the new feed. Yeah, we will be on Podbean we'll officially. Um, a new episode of Market Out Days will cover May 2nd. Um, uh, most notably known for the uh, birthday of The Rock. So we'll have plenty to discuss there and so much more, all the important and not so important moments in wrestling history on May the 2nd. Yes, indeed. So stick around. Uh, you can catch us on all the plugs that we plugged earlier. That's at Retromania Pod on Twitter. That's at Retromania with a W on Facebook. That's writing to us at retromaniapodcast at gmail.com um, subscribing to us on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W um, as well as doing that on iTunes, rating liking, sharing on Google Play, Spotify if you will uh, everything else kicking out at 2 Dave, run them down and then we'll get out of here as always, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Our handle on Twitter is at kicking out two K I C K N O U T in the number two. We have WCW spring stampede 1994 in trading places format available right now over on soundcloud.com as well as all of our social medias, both Facebook and Twitter. Yes. Um, brother, have a good night and I will talk to you in two weeks and we'll be marking right, out brother, the day again. Good. You too. That's right.